when we can look back on our own experience and journey and say that, okay, the things that benefit most are the things that are most challenging, then I can see that current valley low, despite how I feel, despite how I want to see it, despite what um, maybe uh, how long or how short I've been in it, I can still fight to see it as, okay, this is the training grounds. I need to gird up and get ready to just fight because I'm in the depths, but I'm, this is going to be good for me down the road. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Studying Failure. I am your host, John Egan, and my goal is to normalize the conversation of failure. I want to help you realize three things. One, you're not alone in your failures. Two, your failure is not final. And three, your failures do not define you. Each week, I'll bring on some incredible guests that will not only share their failures and their journeys, but will also give extremely practical advice on how to change the way you view your failures, setbacks, and adversity. This week's episode with Thane is all about self-awareness, self-leadership, and whether you see failure as good or bad. I love this episode Because Thane shares some stories about when he spent time as a professional golfer and some struggles, some failures, some adversities that he went through as a professional golfer and how he mentally worked his way through those struggles. We also spend time talking about the importance of recognizing where you are on the cycle. Are you going up the mountain? Are you coming down the mountain? Are you in the valley of something? Or are you at the very top of the mountain? No matter where you're at, Thane has this three-step process of retroactive, active, and proactively looking at the different situations going on in your life. This is a powerful episode, guys. So if you're looking to become more self-aware, this is the episode for you. So guys, without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode with Thane Marcus Ringler. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Studying Failure. Today, we're hanging out with former professional golfer turned speaker, writer, and development coach, Thane Marcus Ringler. Thane is currently living out in Colorado with his wife, Evan, and is passionate about speaking to the journey from the journey. After competing as a professional golfer, Thane refocused his efforts on bringing the habits, mindsets, and disciplines of a pro golfer to people in everyday life. Through coaching, online courses, books, blogs, his own podcast, The Up and Comer Show, and his love for making a great cup of coffee, Thane Marcus has the resources to live and work better. So Thane, thanks for jumping on, man. Today's going to be special. Thanks, John. This is a lot of fun just to be with you here uh, virtually. And you are 100% right. Making a good cup of coffee is guaranteed to start your day off better. <laughs> Dude, I, I feel it, man. I've got I've got a cup right here. I've got my French press right next to me, man. I'm nice. like, dude, I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. So before we jump into like the meat of the conversation, real quick, what makes a great cup of coffee a great cup of coffee, dude? You know, uh, there's a lot of things that go into making a good cup of coffee great. Yeah. Uh, some notables are the biggest ingredient of coffee is water. And so having good water actually is probably one of the most understated parts of making a good cup of coffee. Uh, And then along with that would be quality and freshness of beans. 
um, not all beans are created equal. And so, you know, there's, <laughs> there's tiers of quality and they serve different purposes. So if all you care about is just give me a cup of coffee and I'm going to throw some cream in or I'm just going to drink it and grit my teeth through it, you know, Folgers could be a good choice for you. And sure. now if you want to go the, the latte route and you just care about those fun holiday flavors and Starbucks could be a really good choice for you. But yeah. if you really want to experience the fullness of what coffee could bring and yes. the, the variety of flavors um, and the, the, the wide uh, range of different expressions and, and creativity that farmers, growers and roasters produce in coffee, then you can explore kind of the craft coffee scene, which is often referred to as third wave and can get pretty pretentious at times. But all in all, <laughs> it's a great um, world to dive into. And there's a lot of fun uh, things to experiment with in it. That, that's that's good to know. Like water. It's funny, like people don't think about the quality of water. Like you need high quality water in order to make a great cup of coffee. Totally. It is very underrated. And then, I mean, just to give people maybe a, if they're curious about more, the other thing I'll say is that I think that um, consistency with grind, uh, size, uh, amount of coffee, meaning the ratio of coffee to water, yeah. and then the time it takes to extract it. Those are the three uh, most important variables, along with the temperature of the water. Sure. Um, so keeping those four consistent will produce the best cup of coffees when you get that dialed in. Yeah, I love it, man. Who knew that we'd be jumping into you know today's podcast and spend the first four minutes or so talking about how to make a great cup of coffee. I mean, <laughs> that's like, that's a good start to the conversation, brother. If we can start talking about coffee, I'm, I'm man, I'm game for any, anywhere yes. else. <laughs> yes. So we mentioned that you're a, you're a former professional golfer, right? And so I, I'd love to know what caused you to leave golf in your mid to late twenties. You know, you already have your pro tag, you're kind of you're, you're pushing forward to, you know, to get to that PGA tour to, you know, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you decided to leave golf and now you're an author, you're a speaker, uh, you're a development coach. So what was, uh, what was the reason for, for leaving golf, man? Yeah. You know, um, like everyone's journey, uh, it's not what we expect. Uh, and it usually has a lot of twists and turns that uh, we didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. For me, one of those big twists was uh, about a year and a half or two years into my career, I ended up having a muscle strain in my left rhomboid that popped up mid-season, uh, actually back in 2016. Um, okay. And that repeated five times over a year and a half. So Oof. it was a constant on off, you know, trying to figure out and solve the problem of my body. Uh, and like any journey of trying to solve something, usually you learn what not to do before you learn what to do. So you learn right. uh, the mistake of coming back too early. You learn the mistake of treating the wrong thing, of, of, of addressing the symptom and not the root, and on and on it goes. And so um, that was a pretty rough stretch for me of having, you know, this thing that I poured my life into that people were investing into and that um, I had kind of, um, seen some traction and growth in, but to be halted and stopped. And then, um, in this unknown place of, could I play pain-free golf again? Will my body last? Sure. All these questions that are popping up. And for, for me, timing wise, it was really hard because, 
the first year, year and a half of my career was pretty dismal. I was kind of jumping into the ocean and trying to figure out how to swim. Sure. And that's a lot of, you know, anytime we jump into the next tier of competition mm-hmm. is you go through a stretch of that. And so when I finally got kind of my, uh, some experience built up, I got to be on the One Asia Tour in 2015 for a bit, played again against some great fields and players there and um, got some international experience and well, I didn't capitalize on them. I, I was amassing enough of, to develop this confidence in, in my own abilities. And that's when um, the momentum was halted. Um, and so coming out of that, uh, I, I had originally planned on three years and then reevaluating. So it was about three and a half years when I decided to reevaluate. Is it golf or is it something else with my team sure. and sponsors? Sure. Um, and then with myself. Uh, and as I sat with that, for about two months, I just prayed over it, sought counsel, just really tried to sit with myself in that question. Mm-hmm. I looked back and I saw that I, I think I could be more effective outside the world of golf than within it, just based mm-hmm. on my interests, um, experiences, passions, etc. And that yeah. was what really led to me making the decision to pivot. Um, and to be honest, like most people in any transition pivot, it's very hard um, and challenging. We mentioned this before we started recording a little bit that Uh, a lot of times we struggle with failure and which is why you have this whole show. Um, Because if I look back on my career from the outside looking in, it can be seen as a quote unquote failure. Right. Absolutely. Did you struggle with that? Because you said beforehand, again, before we started recording that your goal was to hit the PGA tour. Like your goal was to be playing, um, you know, down in Augusta on a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon, like that's, yes. that's where your head is at, right? That's what you're shooting for. No pun intended. Um, but like, that's <laughs> what you're shooting for. Right. And all of a sudden you leave that dude, mm-hmm. you leave that. And all of a sudden now golf is in your, you know, rear view mirror and you're writing a book mm-hmm. and you're, you know, speaking, did you struggle with, man, I'm a failure because I, I did not reach my goal of being a PGA tour. And if you did, was it like a good failure in, in, in your eyes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that's the journey, right. Of seeing failure as good or bad is kind of where we start a lot of times. Like we, we often start in this default of it is bad, right? Failure is bad. Um, and we want to win, which is good. And so we kind of start in this good, bad mentality, uh, versus seeing it all aligned or connected. Um, and for me, you know, there's two things that were really hard. Uh, the first, which um, was interesting of of this component, was that I had investors and sponsors, right, that were backing me and helping support um, that journey. And for me, sure. I took a, a pretty heavy weight from that, meaning I really, uh, I wanted to be responsible and provide a return on their investment that that mattered to me so much and um i knew that they were sacrificing you know it may not be a lot to them or it may be a lot to them but somewhere in between they were sacrificing something monetarily yeah. so that yeah. i could pursue this and it killed me that i there was a chance i wouldn't be able to give them the return that i really wanted to on that mm-hmm. and that's that's really the motivation that sparked my first book to be honest with you i I remember I was on a plane to Thailand for an Asian tour qualifier. My muscle strain had re-aggravated the week before I was supposed to leave. I couldn't get a refund on my money, so I had to just go try. But in my heart, in my gut, I knew like 
the body's not going to hold up. Yeah. So I'm on the plane going over there and I'm just thinking, man, if I can't repay my investor and sponsors monetarily, what could I give them as a way to say thanks? Uh-huh. Uh, and this idea for a book came up. What if I wrote a book about what this journey has taught me about life and hmm. gave that to them as a way to say thanks? This is what you gave me. Um, and so that was the original idea. And then fast forward like six months when I was on injury recovery again, I, God gave me the space to say, hey, let's get this started while I'm yeah. recovering. I'm not going to sit on my butt and just putt and chip and recover. Let's let's write this book. And so uh-huh. that was kind of the first thing that happened when I was still competing. Um, and then the second thing, part of this failure is this identity piece of my whole life. I've played golf, right? Right, right my whole life I've been a golfer. I've been known as a golfer. I mean, my social media handle at the time was staying the golfer, you know, like all those <laughs> things. It's like, it was, it's a part of you, you know? Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. um, and I think that's the danger for all of us is when what we do, um, gets mixed with who we are, our identity mm-hmm. is found in things that isn't really real. Meaning my identity is not a golfer, even if that's what my profession is, even mm-hmm. if that's what others know me by, that doesn't mean that's my identity. And so we have to make the conscious choice to detach our identity from what we do and place it in who we are as humans, as individuals. Yeah. And um, and that was, I think that's one of the greatest gifts that that um, faith and God has given me in that transition is that that framework and worldview uh, gave me the ability to detach myself from what I was doing and see that I'm a part of a bigger picture than just Thane Ringler, my, me, myself, and I. Mm-hmm. And and that ability to detach was so freeing in that transition that's still really hard because I often have my identity wrapped up in what I'm doing. And so yeah. that battle of, uh, but understanding that um, this isn't my identity, this isn't what defines me, this right. is just a part of my journey and process was huge in freeing me from those feelings of shame and guilt or feelings of failure, those feelings of not being good enough uh, mm-hmm. that all attack us when we don't reach the hopes and dreams and goals we set before us. How did you work through those feelings, man? And what did you do on a daily basis to make sure that you were detaching, right? And that you were attaching it to mm-hmm. not what you were doing as a golfer, but you were attaching it to to something else, right? So mm-hmm. how did you work through that, man? Yeah, it, I, there's there's tools and processes that we can use. I think even today, you know, I had uh, speaking of a personal example now, I think um, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of times where you feel like is what I'm doing meaningful, right? And this yeah. morning was one where I'm like kind of hit, it's gloomier today and I was just kind of feeling down. I was like, is this meaningful? You know, like, right. is this good, uh-huh. important work? And had a had a buddy that I talked to about in, in the background call for a, a podcast and all this stuff and and basically, he just was encouraging me uh, by what he's going through and just kind of shared some scriptures, some things from God that mm. um, were just like edifying, you know. And so that's one tool that we can use is just having other people in your life that are able to speak life and light into you and yeah. encourage you because we all go through seasons of ups and downs. So yep. I think having good community around me was really important in that time. It's awesome. um, but then there's some really practical steps that I think were super helpful for me. Um, the first was sitting with this question, who have I been created, equipped, and called to be? And I love this question because it's kind of comprehensive in the sense that uh, it's threefold. It's created is your natural giftings, talents, or abilities that you have kind of from birth that you're just kind of naturally wired to. Yeah. Um, equipped is what are those life experiences you've had thus far that are unique to you and that have given you unique perspectives or experiences that you can help others with? Mm-hmm. And then called is what is that passion, that fire, that 
that thing that that drive that won't die within you uh, yeah. that pushes you forward. And, and I think that question was really a framing for me in those couple months as I sat with that and really thought through who is this person. Um, wow. And that's where I, I kind of came out with this calling to be a voice to the next generation. And and again, like callings and and these ideas or passions that we have are very nebulous and vague. And that's a good thing because if <laughs> if we thought there was a clear path forward, we'd be mistaken. It's right. not clear. We just know yep. maybe the next step. And then by taking the next step enough times, we figure out that 10th step, not the yep. other way around. Right. Um, so that was that was really helpful for me. Um, and then finally, the other really practical thing that I did that I'm really grateful uh, for this was knowing that emotionally this would be very hard and that mm-hmm. relationally people wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I scaled the release of the information. So I started with once I knew in my heart and in my gut and between me and God, what it was that I needed to do. I sat with that for a few days or a week before I even let anyone know. So just getting clear in my heart and my mind, this is what I'm doing. I feel good about it. This is what I need to do. And then I scale it out to my close family, right? It's like parents, Mm -hmm. um, investors, sponsors, um, siblings, you know, mm-hmm. then, then I, I scale it and let them know and then wait mm-hmm. a week. And then, then it's like close friends and people that are in my inner circle. Then I let them know. And then eventually like a, a month or two later, letting the masses know, or like people that are following or whatever is yeah. it's so, so that way I'm more and more resolved within me to face the, um, external critique, whatever that may be. Yeah. Uh, and I found that to be a really helpful tool. That's awesome. Well, and plus what it does by you telling those people closest to you first, it also then lets it sink in for them. And then it kind of builds like this wall around you, right? Mm -hmm. Like this community wall to where then if say like, then people do start like, you know, how people get on social media or on the internet, like people can start to get nasty and whatever, like you have this community and this wall kind of built around you one, starting with your own self, right? Mm -hmm. Starting with your own self where you would you're confident in who you are and the decision that you made, but then also the loved ones around you. And I think that's really cool that you kind of, you weren't just like all at once, like, boom, here it is. It's like, no, let's build this community around me. Let's build it in myself first, make sure that I'm confident with this decision. So then that way, when people do question it, like I'm able to confidently say like, this is why I left, or this is why I made the mm-hmm. choice that I did. I, th- I think that's great, man. That's really cool. Yeah. It's just, it's just helpful. Cause you know, at the end of the day, uh, we face enough um, self-critic and self-doubt on our own. So we yeah. kind of have to work on that place first yeah. um, before we start inviting others to input their opinions on that. <laughs> <laughs> what did golf teach you about failure and about success? Because mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about it before and and I've I've gone out golfing a little bit. I've kind of dabbled in it a little bit. Obviously nowhere near you know your level, but you know, like it is, it is just you, right? Like I played basketball in college and obviously, you know, there's four other teammates on the court with you. You got your coaches, you got your bench players, you got, you know, everyone else. But when you're golfing, man, like there's nobody, you can't just like, you can't turn to one side or the other and be like, dude, pass me the ball. It's just like, (laughs) you have to, like, you have to look within yourself Mm -hmm. and, and really analyze yourself. So what did golf teach you about failure and about success, man? 
Yeah, golf, sports in general teach us a lot about life. Golf is interesting, as you said, because it is an individual sport. You have to take 100% ownership for everything. Yeah. You just, you have to. There's no one to blame. There's no teammates, referees, coaches, et cetera. It right. falls on your shoulders, which is a, a blessing and a curse in many ways. So I think it teaches you um, to take ownership. Uh, and then it also teaches you, uh, the other thing I like to say is never settle because you cannot let down. You can't settle for less than you're capable of because every single shot matters. And when you mm-hmm. get to the higher and higher levels, the margin for uh, fail between failure and victory is so slim. The margin for error is so small that you really you have to maximize every single moment. Um, yeah. But the cool thing about golf is um, because you have on average seventy opportunities uh, to get immediate feedback on input output of like, okay, this thought came in, this result came out in Mm -hmm. the shot. Mm -hmm. Um, You really get to be clear about what's helpful and what's not pretty quick. And then (laughs) it comes to the mental discipline, the, the work, the mental work, the toughness to choose the right thoughts, regardless of how you feel. regardless of the surrounding circumstances or pressure and regardless of what you just did the moment before. Uh Um, And that is where the rubber meets the road of like building mental resilience and toughness. Um, And golf provides a lot of opportunities for that. Um, And so I think with, in regards to success and failure, it really does teach you that um, regardless of success or failure I love the quote, I think Ben Hogan said, the most important shot in golf is the next one. Mm-hmm. So you know what? The, the, that's the most important shot you have. The next yep. shot right in front of you. Yep. And, you know, whether there's a story I've shared before of, you know, I was playing a mini tour event in Kansas, actually, and I ended up cold shanking one from the fairway on a par five mid round oh. oh, no. um, out of nowhere, you know, like kind of out of the blue. And that that happens to everyone. Um, uh-huh. So it's not like uh, that that anyone's immune to that. But it was so, um, you know. Uh, sh- shaking of my nerves in the sense that, you know, I'm on a par five, I'm hitting a six iron in uh-huh. the green, trying to get a birdie, maybe an eagle, and I shank it OB, and I have to drop a ball right there and hit that same shot Oof. within a few minutes, right, oh of just what I did. Goodness. And oh that that was one of the, that's one of those moments that really stands out of like, that is what mental toughness is all about. It's saying, I've hit the shot a million times. Yeah. My body knows exactly what to do. I'm super embarrassed, uh, ashamed of that shot. Um, I feel anger because I just hit that shot <laughs> and yet I have to like remove all those emotions as much as possible and trust my body knows how to do it. Um, and, and that is such a unique challenge, but it does provide a great training ground for, right. um, mental resilience, toughness, and controlling our thoughts and emotions. Mm-hmm. Are there any practices, mental triggers, things that you would do like on that shot, right? Where you've got to drop it and, and you're walking up to the ball and like, that's the longest walk, right? Mm-hmm. The longest walk. And you're having all those conversations in your head. Well, like, were there any practices or daily, maybe mantras or anything that you would tell yourself to kind of get yourself in the right frame of mind? Yeah. You know, I think we need different things at different times. So like the specific mantras and sayings, I think those are, those should change over time. Meaning like it's good to have um, it fresh and meaningful in the moment. Um, Regards to practices, I think um, this is where, uh, honestly, I'm so passionate now about self-awareness and discipline, because I think those are the two 
key components, core competencies for good self-leadership. And to overcome those moments, you have to be able to lead yourself well so that you can overcome the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts that aren't helpful. Yeah. Um, and so on the self-awareness side, what was really important uh, was just the, the foundational practice of journaling and reflecting. So okay. after every uh, practice round, after every tournament, um, and then after it began to be after every practice session, mm -hmm. uh, I would sit down and just journal out what I learned mm. because I found even in practicing, um, if, if I didn't sit down and take five, 10 minutes afterwards, which is hard to do for people who are on the go and kind of achievement wired, right? Yeah. Um, just taking those five to 10 minutes of recording what I just learned. If I didn't do that, I would relearn the same thing the next day, oftentimes, right? And so that's yeah. wasting a practice session. Yeah. I'm not actually, I'm just kind of repeating this step when I can make another step if I just journal and reflect and, and in, ingrain that learning. Um, uh -huh. So that was a really huge practice because you start seeing themes, you start understanding deeper and deeper levels, and you can really make more and more inner progress. Um, right. So that's on the self-awareness side. On the discipline side, you know, it, it, it's the other thing that I faced and that a lot of people face in sports and even in life is uh, the yips, right? Uh, the yips are kind of involuntary movements based out of fear that yep. becomes habitual and our body just follows that pattern. And so in baseball, um, sometimes catchers can get the yips and not being able to throw the ball back to the pitcher. Right. Mm -hmm. This like super simple throw, but yep. then they just start jerking it and can't get it. So in golf, it's often in putting or chipping. And for me, it was in my wedges. Um, and so I, <laughs> the funny thing about this is I, I played a mini tour. I, I was, I was, I was in the field for the 2015 Australian Open. Okay. It was probably the biggest tournament I played in. Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott, Lee Westwood, a bunch of those guys were in it. Oh, oh wow. Um, and it was a great opportunity. Um, and I played a mini tour event the week before to warm up about uh -huh. a week, a week and a half in advance. And I played, I, I shot the worst professional round of my life. I think I shot 89 <laughs> oh, no. um, in the second or third round. And oh, it's because no. on the range beforehand, I got this kind of yip in my wedges to where the wedges are your scoring clubs when you're 180. 50 yards and in uh -huh. you want to start getting close for birdie and scoring and so those should be really accurate on the money and then i started getting the yips with them where it would go wide open or shut and this this moment of just immense fear just ca takes over you right oh, and yeah sure and then i went on i went on and shot you know the worst round of my life professionally speaking and um now i've got 10 days to get ready for the biggest turn in my life. And I'm yeah. still, I have the yips, right? Right. right. Uh, and that was the biggest fight of my life in, in the sense of golf of going out to the range and just trying to will your body to do something that it's not wanting to do. And, and yeah. having this huge fear cycle, just gripping you. I mean, I just remember being so gripped by this fear around this shot on the range in, in t at TPC Valencia. I remember so distinctly <laughs> and just like, I mean, it's, it's those moments where you're like, you're banging your head on the wall and you just are like walking around. Like, I don't know what to do. Sure. Um, and so you kind of have to, you have to go through this process of fighting to believe until you can actually believe. And, and the hardest mm -hmm. part about that fight is that it's not tangible, right? If, if you're saying, Hey, I want to run a four, four forty or, hey, I want to deadlift 400, 500 pounds, whatever uh -huh. it is, yeah. that's tangible. Like, can, I'm making gains. It. Like, yeah. I can see the body growing. I can see the, the numbers growing. It's very right. tangible. 
this is very intangible. It's very, I don't see necessarily results, but I have to keep fighting. Um, and I was able to get the place where I was able to compete well. Uh, sure. I missed the cut uh, due to some very unfortunate, my dad was getting was great, but man, it was just, I, I let the ball drop at the end. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was just a, something I'm really proud of to be able to fight through that and get to a place where I can compete at a high level, even in this place of just a week ago, you know, having this, this gripping fear. Um, and, and, you know, this thing is it's human. We all face this. It doesn't matter if it's, um, fear over, um, standing in front of an audience and speaking That's very real for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's the fear of, um, it's a whole host of things that we're afraid of that, uh, that whether whether it doesn't matter what it is, we all face them in different mm-hmm. ways, and mm-hmm. we all have to go through the journey of fighting to overcome that. And it's not going to be easy, but it's possible. Right, right. It, it well, and that's the thing you you just nailed it, Thane. Like that very last thing you just said, it's possible, mm-hmm. right? Like it is possible. So often we think because it's not tangible, because we can't measure it, and it's all up here we start to believe that it's not possible, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're a salesman and, or if you're a real estate agent or insurance sales, whatever, and you haven't gotten a sale in maybe a couple weeks, a couple months, like you start to believe like this is impossible. Like I, this is not going to happen. And that, that conversation starts to build and build and grow and grow and grow. And then all of a sudden you're just stuck in this negative self-talk, mm-hmm man, I, I can't do this. I am a failure. I failed at being a real estate mm-hmm. agent. I'm just going to go back to doing whatever. Or I failed at being an entrepreneur. I'm just going to leave this this dream that I had and go back to what I know is comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. But it is possible. It, it really, really is possible. And, and I love that you like gave that story and you ended it with like it is possible because man, like it is just part of the journey. Like mm-hmm. it is, like it really is. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be different than we expected. And um, it's not going to feel as cool as it sounds. <laughs> that's the biggest <laughs> thing, I think. Like, you know, when you hear you're like, oh, that's cool. I'm pumped up or whatever. But mm-hmm. in real life, it's not that cool. It's not fun, you know, mm-hmm. and it's pretty brutal. Um, so I think it's just having the courage to face it, you know, having the courage to say, this sucks right now, you know, or having the courage to say, I'm not feeling it right now. Um, what can I do to try and claw my way back? And I think just even rec, you know, life is so full of rhythm. It's so full of momentum um, that we, we got to be able to recognize and this goes back to self-awareness. We have to recognize where we're at on that cycle. Yeah. You know, are we climbing the mountain to the mountain peak? Are we on the top of the mountain? Are we coming down the mountain or are we mm-hmm. in the valley, you know, and all these different places in that, momentum journey of rhythm it requires different mindsets you know it requires different focuses but if we aren't self-aware enough to see where we're at in that we can't give ourselves the right mindset or focus to help us through that season Mm -hmm. um and i think that's where self-awareness again is so crucial um just being able to see ourselves clearly and where we're at in that flow and rhythm and know that uh it requires a certain perspective and mindset and and being able to uh, stay committed to that long enough to to move into the next. So let's let's touch on that, man, about the mindset and the mountain, knowing that mm-hmm. obviously at the top of the mountain, there's the bottom. The bottom of the mountain, there, there is a top, right? 
and you you have an eight week course on self awareness, which I love. It just came out what, last month, right? It just mm-hmm. you're launched yep. it. Awesome, man. Um, so let's just let's touch on where you talked about the mindset at the top of the mountain, and then the mindset when you're down in the valley. What should those mindsets be, or like what do you what would you encourage people's mindset to be when they are absolutely killing it at what they're doing? Or when they are in the midst of failing and adversity and setback, mm-hmm. what do you encourage people's mindsets to be at, at at both spots? There's two there's two illustrations I think that are helpful here. One is the journey of where we're at on the mountain, and then each place in the journey we're on a pendulum of either this side or that side. And in the pendulum swing, our goal is to kind of be in the middle, which sure. is most balanced, right? Not saying this or that, but kind of a little bit of both. Uh-huh. Um, and that applies to a wide range, but but in a pendulum the the place where it spends the least amount of time is in the middle <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's more often on one side or the other and so we're swinging on this like super motivated or swinging on this super depressed and you know and it's we need a little bit of both and we need to balance it in the middle uh-huh and that's kind of that t- living with intention and the tension of, of balancing those tensions well yeah um, but then in the journey um, I, I think that the place we spend the least amount of time is at the very mountaintop and at the very valley, valley low. Yep. That's where we spend the least amount of time. Most right. of the journey is either climbing or going down or something in between, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're on the top of the mountain or a peak of the mountain, and there'll be more peaks to come, when you're there, you really, the hardest thing to do is just to savor it, enjoy it, and really be present with it, you know, and just sit with it. And enjoy the view. Like a lot of times we get to the top of, if you're literally climbing a mountain, you get to the top and you're like, okay, that was cool. Now we got to go down. (laughs) Like, whoa, hang out, like savor it, be with it, enjoy Enjoy it, be present. Enjoy Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really uh, celebrate the wins. You know, I'm horrible at this. So I, I think a lot of us are bad at just celebrating our wins as big or as small. Those peaks are Mm -hmm. celebrate them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the Valley low we have to see it as the training grounds. We have to see it as, you know what, this may be the suckiest moment I've had in a long time, but it is good for me. And it's good is going to come from it because of what it's going to teach me. And if we think about it, all the things that are most valuable to us or most important to us, or that have grown us the most are the hardest things in life. Absolutely. The things that have shaped me the most as a man today are the things that have the hardest things I've been through. Yep. And and when we when we can look back on our own experience and journey and say that, okay, the things that benefit most are the things that are most challenging, then I can see that current valley low, despite how I feel, despite how I want to see it, despite what um maybe uh how long or how short I've been in it, I can still fight to see it as okay, this is the training grounds. I need to gird up and get ready to just fight because I'm in the depths, but I'm, this is going to be good for me down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like for me personally, if I look back at my life, the times, and like you mentioned earlier about the times, the hardest times you go through in your life is when you really grow the most. Like me personally, when I was in seventh grade, getting cut from my basketball team, you know, that helped set my mindset. My dad was like, Hey, you can either kind of sulk about this or you can, work all year long and make sure that next year that coach remembers you and you make the team. I was like, okay, I'm going to work. Right. And so eighth grade year comes along. I make the team or ninth grade year. We move from Pennsylvania back to Wisconsin. My, my dad and my parents were out of a job for like nine, 10 months. And we struggled financially, like really, really hard. And if I look back, 
that time, going through that time, being able to see that the Lord is going to take care of us, right? Helped prepare me for when, for when I was married and really, really struggled financially for like two or three years. And knowing that like, okay, I'm going to get through this, whether it's a week or a month, six months, three years, it's going to end and it sucks. But that's the thing. The moment it sucked, like finding out that I got cut from my seventh grade team sucked. I bawled like a baby. I did Mm -hmm. like sitting at the table. I bawled like a baby. Ninth grade year. I was frustrated because we didn't have the money to go drive to hang out with friends or do this, whatever that sucked. And it was hard. Or when we uh, struggled financially, when we first got married, those three years were difficult because we had my daughter. We moved a couple times. I was in and out of jobs. Boom, 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 boom. All these things that sucked. It was so hard, but I'm looking back now. I would not be the person I am today. I would not have this podcast. I would not do any of the things that I have right now if I had not gone those mm-hmm. through those things. And so the importance of looking back and realizing like, okay, those times sucked, but it created who I am today. To, to speak of the self-awareness process, like in the course and just the simple process that we all go through that that I just put some words around in the, in the structure of the course, but it's this idea of, retroactively, actively, and proactively. It's discovering by looking back, it's understanding by being in the moment, and it's optimizing by preparing for the future. And it's just so simple, right? But but by by putting that into words so that we can picture in our minds and hear it and think about it, what you just said is everything, right? Because by by looking back through reflecting and journaling and discovering, you know, what happened and why and what we learned from it and how we grew from it, that helps us be more aware of ourselves and what we're going through so we can better deal with it or be prepared for it. And then by understanding the moment, we can say, okay, I'm in this moment right now that is very similar to what I went through in the past because I've spent time to discover and understand it. Yeah. Now, now I'm understanding the moment of like, oh, I'm in it again. Let's return to that mindset. Uh-huh. Let's return to those practices uh-huh. so I can get through this and benefit from it as fully as possible. Right. Because everything can be used for good even if we don't see it right now. And most of the time we don't see it right now. Like we really don't see it in the moment and we never really will. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is just to remind ourselves and and go through that practice of preaching the truth and then believing the truth in action in those moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed, man. Dude, that those last few minutes, like, like I got chills talking about, like, I love how you like you easily laid those three things out and it's like, you can visually see them. You can like picture Mm -hmm. it. And, and, and I love that, man. So like the past few minutes, I kind of got chills in in our conversation. It was really cool, man. That's awesome. Um, so you're, you're recently married, married beginning Mm -hmm. of the year. Right. Um, so after being married for, you know, um, under a year, what has being married taught you about success and failure? What have you learned about yourself? Oh man, so much. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like, uh, I, I love reading and, and I've read and learned a lot from others about marriage and relationships in the past. Um, and that's been really helpful coming into it, but there's, I love the quote by Whitney Wolford, the greatest or the most expensive currency in the world is experience. Um, <laughs> And it's true. It's like, yeah. it, you know, there's nothing like experience. So I've learned tenfold what I learned before marriage, just being in marriage for less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is such a sweet gift to have um, a partner in life and to share life with and to have a mirror 
just to see yourself that much more clearly. Um, It's, uh, it, it's fun to realize that humans are mysteries that we're never going to fully figure humans out uh, Mm -hmm. because they're endlessly, there's endless depth to each human. Um, And that's so true with me and my wife, Uh, just eight months in now seeing that I'm just barely scratching the surface and it's still a mystery and it's always going to be in the most beautiful way. Um, and then my journey and goal is how can I learn my wife, my wife well and keep discovering and learning her my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been an awesome, uh, process and, you know, hard at the same time. Like we, it's humans were, we are inherently selfish. And so when two selfish humans come together, it, <laughs> it takes work to sacrifice for the other. And that's daily work. Yep. Um, and some days I'm better at it. Some days she's better at it. And that's just the dance, you yeah, know? And so, yeah. um, and so I think uh, it's been really cool to grow and in, um, in the ability to show grace and forgiveness to one another. Like I think um, when you're by yourself, uh, you don't have to practice forgiveness. You don't have to practice um, unconditional love as much as you do now. And those are really helpful as humans. It it just gives us more compassion for each other Mm -hmm. because we see our own brokenness way better. And uh, we learn how to love others and their brokenness better too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think those are just so crucial um, to life as humans uh, that I am incredibly grateful. And then the other thing is she's really strong in a lot of areas where I'm really weak. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is just feeling and and being able to feel and understand what you're feeling. Dude, (laughs) I'm right there with you, brother. I am right there with you. It's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and it's such a superpower, you know, like I think a lot of times as men, the culture can say being sensitive or having feelings or, uh, what have you, or being emotional, mm-hmm. those are weaknesses, but really they're the strength and the superpower that we need as men, especially yep. because more times than not men are weaker than women in that. Yep. Um, not always true, but a lot of times. And, yeah. you know, I, I, there's such strength in courage and being completely honest and real with your feelings for yourself and for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, my wife's helped me a lot in that. And she's, she's just really, really good at, um, understanding her feelings and being able to share her feelings uh, in ways that I have a long ways to go. Dude, man, I, I feel that like to my core, dude, because Mm -hmm. we, so we've been married for five and a half years and same thing, man. Like I, I struggle with that. And, and my wife is great at that about feeling right. And this past weekend, this past Saturday, um, I'm gonna be honest, like I blew up at her. I blew up at her. And, and then later that day, later that night, we were talking about it and I was like, I was like, Alyssa, I am, I am emotionally tired. Like, like your bar, your emotional bar is so much higher than mine. So I'm not Mm -hmm. discounting you at all. I am emotionally tired because we, we have a three month old, we have a four year old, um, you know, like all these different factors that are playing into it. And I am emotionally tired Mm -hmm. and dude being able to verbally say that was like, whoa, like I've, I've never done that before. Like, this is cool to be able to show that Mm -hmm. to her and for her to be able to take that from me. Like that was, Mm -hmm. it was really, really cool, man. It was really cool. Like she, she pulled that out of me because I've, I would have never done that. I would have never done that. If like, if she hasn't been continuing to work on me and like, John, like, let it, like, let it go. Let it go. Talk to me, like communicate, 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 show your emotions. It, It was, it was a really, really cool moment. 
Yeah, you know, it. T- I think it takes way more courage to be known than to to just keep it all in, you know. And that's that's where I think it, as men, I think that's one framework that could really help us because mm-hmm. we all rally around being courageous, you know, like yeah. like it fills us like yeah, <laughs> but. But being courageous means like being fully known by your partner and letting yep. them into how you're feeling and processing. And um, yeah, like I, I'm not great at that. I'm yep. really not uh, just like you. And um, it's funny how much inner obstacles pop up to that in those moments. And and really the work is just practicing. Okay, inner obstacles. I feel it. I see it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. a practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's discipline. Ultimately, discipline is doing what you don't want to do. Uh, regardless of how you feel, uh, regardless of what the circumstances are, doing what you know you need to do. Absolutely. Um, it's as simple as that. It's, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it's always hard. <laughs> it's a daily practice, man. It's like it's uh-huh. waking up and being being very mindful of like, okay, like I have to work on this today. I mm-hmm. have to spend time, again, being self-aware, right? I have to spend time with myself in this, acknowledging it, knowing it, working through it. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's powerful, dude. So dude, so spend, uh, we're, we're going to be wrap up here in just a couple minutes, Dane, dude, this is like, I, 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 I honestly feel like I could just talk with you all day, man. Like you are, you're totally. very easy to talk with dude. Um, but spend just a couple of minutes. I know we, we, we touched briefly on the eight week courses that you have, um, on self-awareness and on discipline. Um, mm-hmm. But spend just like a couple of minutes. I'll give you just a, maybe a little self promo on it, man, because I think they're really, really important. But um, spend just—I I would be very, very remiss if I didn't ask you about that. So spend just a couple minutes talking about that, man. Yeah, thank you. I I'm really excited about them. It's been about a year in the making. Uh, so I started them last year near the end of the year, uh, and really, you know, doing some development coaching with individuals over the last three years, writing a couple books now, and just thinking a lot on um, what golf has given me and, and what uh, what tools and uh, have been helpful for me in my journey so far. Mm-hmm. Again, I think self-leadership is always the first focus because if we can't lead others well, we can't lead ourselves well. Right. Or if we can't lead ourselves well, we can't lead others well. Yep. Um, and so it always starts with leading yourself well, and that always starts with discipline and self-awareness. And so that's where this kind of phrase, take ownership and never settle came from. Um, and that's what I'm all about. And and it. so in this process of kind of, okay, what does that look like? I mean, self-awareness is this thing we hear a lot and it's kind of a buzzword and tons of people talk about, but what does that mean? And how do we actually do it? And what are what's the process and what are the tools? And so really that eight-week course on self-awareness is all about, okay, what is the process? you know, that super simple threefold process. And then what are the tools? And there's primary and secondary tools. And then there's some other skills that are helpful. And and just sharing that in, in small amounts of information. So they're mm-hmm. shorter lessons. Mm-hmm. And then practicing it, you know, putting it in the reps to realize it in our real in our own lives. Yeah. So that we can end uh end the course by saying, hey, here's the practice of self-awareness. Because self-awareness is not a destination. It's truly a practice. Absolutely. It's an ongoing process mm-hmm. just like meditation you don't get good at you just practice it mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and so you know those are that that's the self-awareness course and the discipline one you know discipline um is something that i think that we all have an inner uh, cringiness towards right we right. kind of um all view it negatively naturally mm-hmm. and i think this is really from childhood i think 
as kids were disciplined, which means often consequences or punishment of some way. Yep. And because of that, our association with the word and the idea of it is always negative as adults. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is just understanding, hey, discipline's a really good thing. It's something that we should embrace. It's helpful to embrace. And, and we start with that belief and understanding the importance of it and where it shows up in life. And then we move into, okay, now how do we build the foundations and the building blocks of of understanding discipline, practicing discipline, and then be, being a disciplined person in daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's the premise of the two courses. Um, they're really practical in that the benefit comes from the le- the, the exercises and the journaling parts um, near the end. But yeah. the lesson plan puts in words and frameworks, so things that we can see and understand to help mm-hmm. us um, believe enough to put those, um, the, the effort into practicing them. Yeah. I love it, dude. And man, those, those things are needed. Those things are absolutely needed. Like act- actually figuring out how to become more self-aware, right? Like what are the steps to that? Because you said it, it's a buzzword. Everyone's talking about it. Okay. So how do I do it? Like, <laughs> right. So I, I love that, man. So I'm, I'm going to link, uh, I'm going to link that up, um, down below so people can check it out. Um, I would highly, highly, uh, encourage people to go, go check it out because, uh, they're powerful. They're needed. No matter if you're 15 or 30 or 50 or wherever you're at in your journey, like those, those things are needed, man. So I, I appreciate you, you for putting in the work, dude. Yeah. And if you need some extra encouragement, I like to give, there's a, a discount code, a podcast. So okay. if you heard this on this podcast, you can save 20%. Uh, nice. And that's just a added encouragement slap on the butt to say, Hey, take some action, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, it all starts with action, man. It all starts with yeah. taking that first step. You know, just to put a quote to that, one of my fa- I say this a lot, but Millard Fuller, I think, said, it's a lot easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than mm-hmm. to think your way into a new way of acting. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. Where can people follow you, get a hold of you, find the courses, Instagram, like all that stuff? Where do you hang out? Yeah, ThaneMarcus.com is my headquarters. So um, everything's on there, uh, links to everything, um, blogs, et cetera. Uh, on the socials is at ThaneMarcus yeah. uh, and the podcast, uh, theupandcomershow.com. Uh, but yeah, I uh, would love for people to say hello or reach out if they had any other thoughts or questions. Awesome, man. I love it. I'll, again, like I said, I'll link all that up. Um, I've got one last question for you, brother. Again, I appreciate you so much. Like this conversation has been incredible like this has been a lot of fun so i appreciate you and your time and the work that you put into the to those courses and your books and everything man so um i appreciate you so much Thane. thank you i La- appreciate those kind of words last question for you brother is you've got 60 seconds to give someone advice on success and failure and it gets sent directly to their phones because we all know as soon as that phone dings or buzzes we're immediately picking it up and we're looking at it right so you've got you got one minute to give somebody wisdom on failure and success. What's that advice? What's that wisdom that you are sharing with them? I would say neither the successes nor the failures are what's important. What's important and what matters is what you do with them. Uh, and that is what will produce the fruit in your life and in others. Um, and I think in order to lead others well, we always have to lead ourselves well. So that means taking advantage of both successes and failures. Yeah. 
um, to instill valuable learnings and lessons for us to grow from and to benefit others with. I love it, man. It's the process. Got to trust the process, dude. Trust the process. Mm -hmm. Dane, thank you, brother. This has been awesome. I appreciate you so much, man. This has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, John. And I appreciate your heart and what you're doing and the efforts behind it. It doesn't uh, happen by chance. So you're putting in the work and it's uh, seen uh, and, and heard and uh, others are benefiting from it. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. What an awesome episode with Thane. Becoming more self-aware is a goal of mine for 2021. And I feel like this episode just came at such perfect timing. I love at the end of the episode, Thane said, self-awareness is not a destination. It's an ongoing process. It's just something that you're continuing to know yourself better. And it's something that you just have to continue working on. I really, really appreciated how he opened it up. And he said, I struggle with showing emotion. I struggle with talking about my emotions. And man, I don't know if anyone else could connect with that, but I connected with that wholeheartedly and to my core. So to be able to hear him say that, man, that was just really, really cool. I loved the stories that he gave where he was just talking about some of the failures and adversities that he had to overcome when he was golfing and some of those mental tools that he gave to help him get through those times, to help him get through the failures, the struggles, the adversities. Man, those were just all so, so good and so, so practical. I also loved in minute 10 when he was talking about identity and how we need to make the conscious choice to detach our identity from what we do and attach it to who we are as individuals. Well, guys, that about wraps up this week's episode. I hope you learned something and took something from it. And if you did, send it over to one friend and let them know what you learned. And then if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Studying Failure Podcast as each week we have some incredible guests who come on and share their powerful stories of how they worked through their own personal failures. So until next time, remember your failures, your valley lows, help build you. They help prepare you for what's coming down the road. So don't quit. Don't stop. Become more self-aware and just keep moving forward.